0: what's cracking guys so welcome to today's episode today i'm sitting down with dr mark morris and we are going to be chatting about nutrition information specifically the transmission of information i think this is a big area where uh, you know coaches and, and people kind of struggle with because you know we'll hear a lot of conflicting beliefs or sorry conflicting opinions and a lot of it is just kind of lacking context and and so that's one of the things that uh Mark is, is actually fantastic. at. if you check out his page, he's, he's really, really great at disseminating information in a very simple and easy to understand way. So before we get into it, um, as always, if you enjoy the podcast, make sure you smash the subscribe button and pay it forward by sending it to a friend that you think would enjoy or, or uh, needs to hear this information. So Mark, thanks so much for joining us, man. I'm really excited to have you on.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm, uh, I'm happy to have this opportunity and excited to you know, talk shop today. Cool, man.
0: So, can you introduce yourself to maybe some of the people who aren't familiar with who you are?
1: You betcha. My name is Mark Morris. I've been an online nutrition and strength coach for the last ten years. Um, it was one of those. I think I have a lot of a similar story to a lot of people where um, grew up playing high school sports, realized that I needed to lift weights to uh, get better at those sports, discovered that I liked the you could actually just lift weights competitively, um, and just started to focus on that. Um, applied to, you know, university because I was like, admittedly like a, I don't know, wanted to go to do some science-based stuff. Uh, went to university, didn't really love what I was studying in terms of like analytical chemistry and, and that type of stuff, but would just spent so much time in the gym and, and have been trying to bridge the gap between the science of, lifting weights and nutrition and resistance training and making it practical and applicable since that time. And I went through the path of going to grad school for, uh, completing my PhD in human nutrition and trying to pair that with, um, applying that stuff to like individuals and how we get results and, and, and stuff that was really like lighting me up and firing me up inside and trying to do that. And I remember like a few things competing in bodybuilding and powerlifting and coaching and powerlifting at at different levels. I just remember my first bodybuilding show being in the back, back room of a pump up room and someone watching someone eat a raw potato and thinking there's, there's more, there's more to this than that. There's like, something is, something is missing, missing here in terms of why this individual is doing this. And we've misled them (laughs) somewhere along the way. So I think since that time, I've been just trying to figure this whole thing out and uh, teach people what I know.
0: Awesome. And yeah, I first met you um, at the strength symposium. I don't remember what year that was a couple of years ago in Edmonton. You betcha uh, Andrew put on, um, it, it was actually a really awesome talk. And so I think we kind of like stay connected ever since actually.
1: You bet we bonded over a few things. And one of those things was, well, obviously we have an interest in, in powerlifting and, and weight class sports and the nutrition component that goes along with that. But we were talking after, it, and I remember we chatted about, we had both done uh, the Stanford writing in the sciences course. I don't even remember that. I remember me saying like one of my actual all-time favorite learning experiences was this free course I did that was just like blew me out of the water. No one had taught me to write like that or communicate like that. And you were like, I've done that course. And I was like, this is the coolest thing. Because usually I mentioned it and no one, no one else knew about it, but just completely free learning opportunity
0: it's so crazy how many free courses they have that that people don't know about. Yeah. It's, it's honestly bananas. To be honest, I actually forgot about that. That's I'm going to have to revisit some of that. So yeah, man, thanks for the, thanks for the, uh, the reminder.
1: My Uh, own program, my own program. I've actually built a lot of for nutrition coaches. I've built a lot of it off that learning experience, just making it really applicable and applied. And I remember, as you're going through the exercise in that course, you write things that you can use in other areas and stuff. And just a really cool learning opportunity because a lot of times you're just jumping through hoops in in a lot of those experiences, right?
0: Yeah, well, it's funny actually, because I find that writing has made me a significantly better coach because it really forces you to be concise with your words. Like even I found the other day, I, I commented on one of my buddy's posts and I wasn't even thinking about it. And then I get this slew of people just coming at me. And I was like, what is going on? Like, and then I remember reading my post and what I wrote was accurate, but I left out a freaking critical component that if, if it's not there, everything that I said is hundred percent wrong. And so I was like, Oh my God, like how, how could I, you know, and I'm not, I don't go on Facebook ever. And so it was just, I checked it. I made a little thing and, uh, and I was like, man, so it's, it's so, so important because when you write, like you put it out there, and people are going to come at you because it's it's there. It's set in stone. And so you really, really have to be diligent about, you know, effective communication, using caveats, um, applying the right kind of context. So I found for myself anyways, definitely made me a much stronger communicator because I'm way, way more cautious about what I say now, just because you're going to get lambasted by all the people out there. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so it's, it's been kind of a cool experience as well.
1: Totally. I think it, it kind of like spills into this conversation around hundred percent language, language mattering and thinking about, you know, who we're speaking to, who's going to access information most of the time. Right. I think a lot of times we think of, you know, thinking of a sea of people that could hear and see this stuff. It can be somewhat daunting, but who, who, who's behind our message, who needs to hear it, who's going to benefit from it and crafting a story around them. And I think that's what, you know, a lot of nutrition educators miss at times is that they're teaching and educating on what they know. And that misses the target audience of who would really benefit from that information or at least who they're attempting to attract.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. And you know what? It's really funny actually, because I've had a couple people reach out to me and be like, um, just kind of talking about some of the content that I put out. And they're like, oh yeah, you put out great content for coaches. And I'm like, for coaches, I was like, that's not who I'm trying to. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, fuck, I'm an idiot. I'm writing about what's interesting to me. And so I've been, I've been changing slightly what, what I'm writing or at least how I'm delivering it. And it's, it's so funny because sometimes you just, you lose that connection to where, um, where, where you started. Like even, even something as simple as like saying strength is a skill, right? You understand that. I understand that. But the depth of understanding there is completely different than someone who hears it and hears strength is a skill. They're like, I don't even understand what that means. You know what I mean? Exactly. It, it doesn't even really make sense until you understand the, the different components of strength, right? Totally. And so, so it's like something seemingly so simple that you just kind of take for granted can be completely over someone's head mm-hmm. and you just completely are unaware of it because you've been in the game for so long. Um, so it kind of brings us actually to the first question that I wanted to ask you. Like nutrition, a lot of these things are pretty simple at face value. And, and it, like when you look at a lot of the really, really effective behaviors, it's honestly way simpler than people seem to think. But it can be pretty complicated, especially with all the information out there and like what people really emphasize, um, depending on where you're getting your information from. So how do you go about kind of not only starting that dialogue, but finding out where an individual is, and then kind of meeting them at that level, you know, without, without kind of seeming like you're condescending to them, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, well, I think a lot of times we, that's a really good question. And a lot of times when we create content or try to educate, I think we always got to take it from the lens of. We're trying to motivate someone to take action uh, around a lot of these things, because the typical viewer or someone that wants to learn more about this stuff is typically after a specific result, like they want, you know, and this is where conventional fitness marketing has worked for the longest time is that is like aspirational, you're showing the end result of something And, and it's got to the point where people sell things that are almost completely unrelated to what they're talking about, right? Like you think about like, you know, buff dude on the front of a magazine holding a supplement uh, container. And it's like, this really didn't happen like this, but it's aspirational. and gets people thinking it's like, Mm -hmm. I want to look like that. I I need this thing. So I think we got to take it from the lens of what does the end viewer want? And a lot of times it's a specific result. And if we can kind of frame the conversation around, you want this thing, here's what you want. Here's what is important and why it is important and chatting about that without going too far into the how we open up an entire world of possibility, especially around our coaching. And I think a lot of times people approach these subjects and try to give everything away by providing value and stuff. When in reality, we should get people interested in what we're doing for them to take the next step. So that's a lot of times like kind of what I teach and try to get people interested in is because Sometimes it's just it's just way too much information for people to digest. And and a lot of time like what you're saying for in terms of the anecdote of your story, it's like, that makes a lot of sense because you are not your market. And what interests you is not going to be the same thing that captivates you know the average gym goer or someone just getting into this because they're not at the same level. And a lot of times we take that lens and it misleads us in our content and what we're trying to put out there because we just, we're not attracting the right person. And sometimes you can see it even in, You can see it in the comments section of an Instagram post, like who is nodding their head at this, right? Is it the people you want to attract? Is it like someone saying like, holy, like, you know, that's me. You just like completely, you know, summarize my situation. Or is it another coach that's like, this is great information, which is kind of off base. If what you're trying to do and attract is people that need to get started on their fitness journey. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, and and you said something there that uh, that I think is really, really important. And this is kind of difficult because I think a lot of the times it goes over people's heads. It certainly does for me a lot of the times, and that's motivating someone to take action because it's really easy to put content out there. But then it's like, okay, what do you actually do with it? You know, like if, if you're writing an article, are you just putting out information or are you saying, hey, here's what's going on here. Here's some things you can do to maybe mediate the effects of a, you know, decreased energy expenditure as you're dieting, you know, or, you know, here, here's some issues that a lot of people have in terms of experiencing pain in the shoulder when you're bench pressing. Here's what you do about that. And I think that Completely. second piece is, is it's really easy to forget. Like even yeah. myself, I have to constantly be reminding myself like, Hey, how is this piece of content actionable? You know, yeah. what are you doing? Are you actually giving someone a solution? Or are you just sure. telling them things with no mm-hmm. sort of anchor? Completely. Um, so, so I, I really, really like how you mentioned that
1: well i think a lot of times one of the best things you can do and i think a lot of times a lot of people that are going to be listening to this podcast and are into this interested in this stuff are going to be science based evidence based coaches that you know want to learn more about what the truth is and what truly gets results and like the logic around this stuff and all of that stuff which is great but sometimes that spills into our content right sometimes we think just because i operate this way in my practice I now need to talk about that stuff. And in reality, like it doesn't always need to be like that. There's probably, you know, there's probably room for some of your content to be around that, but also like illustrative storytelling in terms of, let me tell you about an individual that was just like you, that was looking to get leaner, that, you know, wanted to lose fat and struggled with the impacts or the, you know, adaptations to their metabolism as they did this process and kind of how it ended up right? And it's like, that's almost like a, it's a more of a cautionary tale as opposed to what does the data say? And I don't, there's just like a lot of good examples in pop culture around like people that are using data to create stories and tell stories. Like I always think of like the Malcolm Gladwell books where it's like, this is an interpretation of the data and stories built around that as opposed to like, if your content reads like a literature review, like it's, it's not going to be, it probably won't hit the right market that you're after.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that, I mean, all of these things are literally mistakes I've made.
1: (laughs) You're not, I, I, I come, I come to this, not being, I come to it because I also, I'm still trying to figure it out too. It's not like coming from a place where it's like, I got this, figured out. I just, you start to see it and you start to see where like much to the chagrin of a lot of like experienced coaches that got to where they are because they've just spent enough time doing it, developed, um, you know, supporters and a track record of results that see new individuals coming in that are just like telling stories and showing the end result and being like, why, how are they doing this? They're, you know, they're getting clients, they're coaching people. I'm kind of pissed off about it. It's like, they're doing what you should be doing.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, No, 100%. And it's, it's, it's really interesting. Cause like, um, I know when I was starting out as a coach, I didn't know any fucking thing really <laughs> yeah you no know, I I, so I would read a lot and I still read a lot and it's a big part of my job is, is research or whatever but like I think that sometimes it's easy to fall into the trap of learn 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 and then lacking the application and if you don't have a PhD if you don't have uh you know an RD a master something like that it's very easy to be like, I want to qualify myself and therefore I need to sound smart. Yeah. I need to, you know, use technical jargon. I need to communicate these things very clearly and concisely to people who know what I'm talking about, but then completely baffle people who actually need the information. You know, like I don't need to tell you about energy deficits or anything like that. If you want to lose weight, you already know. It. So communicating that to other people in the same way I talk to you is is a bit ridiculous. Yeah. And I find that even still to this day I will say something and I'll still have people be like, Oh, what's that? And I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. Okay. You're right. You know? Mm -hmm. And, and like, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult, uh, you know, especially being online too because I talk to my clients a lot, like probably five to 10 times a week, but it's, it's via text and it's usually not about a lot of those things. And so if you lack that one-on-one kind of interaction, like you maybe get in person when you're training someone, I think it can be really easy to, uh, to kind of disassociate from the other person, so totally. maybe, you yeah. know, so, so one thing that I wanted to, to ask as well, actually is about promoting client autonomy and, and self-efficacy. Cause that's obviously a really, really huge thing. And there's like a lot that goes into it, including education and, you know, homework and behavior change, and So, How do you go about developing that from like, from a coach helping a client, but then also if you're just an individual who's looking to make this change for yourself, what are some things that you can do to take some of those steps in the right direction?
1: Well, that's a great question. And one thing I constantly find myself repeating and talking about, especially when I'm training other coaches, and this is a piece of advice that was given to me by a social work friend. uh, And she said, one thing that we try to do in social work is not do anything for our client or patients that they couldn't do for themselves. And that like hit me, like, cause I think as people that are passionate about this stuff, we always want to help. We always want to do more. We always want to um, go the extra mile. And a lot of times it becomes so prescriptive or so handholding that we actually prevent people from developing the habits and taking the steps that they need to, do this stuff on their own. And I think that's always the ultimate goal is to be able to release someone into the wild and for them to be able to navigate this stuff on their own. And I, there's also a common misconception that, you know, these clients or people can't come back because there's some accountability and guidance that goes along with this stuff. But I think your goal as a coach is always to put someone in a place where the ownership is on them. They're developing these habits, the kind of buck stops with them. And you're not handholding them to the port part where it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be destructive or impede them from reaching their long-term goals or developing the habits that allow them to do this stuff for longer than the relationship with you. So I remember always that being, um, you know, something that was important and how that looks from a coaching perspective. A lot of times is let's say we're doing like a, you know, a weekly check-in we're assessing the way things look, getting feedback, getting a better sense of where the client is, you know, some positive reinforcement in terms of what's going well, maybe some action steps in terms of what needs to change or being addressed, but the motivational interviewing side of things being like, here's what I think is prescriptive and what you should do. How how likely are you to do it? Or what would this look like to you in a way that's reasonable and getting them involved in the solution is probably the best place. Now that's like. On your own without support. And trying to objectively assess that within yourself, very tough to do, almost nearly impossible. And I don't know anyone, I don't know any real sane person that tries to do that themselves. Not to say that people are crazy, but maybe they just don't know what they don't know yet in terms of that. I know a lot of people, there's a reason why you have a coach, there's a reason why I get coaches, there's a reason why we have someone else objectively looking at their stuff because it's just tough to do. So I think getting them involved in the solution while still trying to be prescriptive is the right mix of having authority, being the expert, leading someone down the path, but also getting them involved in the, in the solution.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And I, I absolutely love what uh, you said about the, the story with the social worker, because it's so goddamn relevant. Like I wrote an article a couple of years ago um, and I think it was called like good coaches, keep their clients accountable. Great coaches don't. Mm-hmm. And, and it was literally exactly that. And the reason why I wrote that was because I actually had an incident many, many years before that, where I was, this was back when I was training people in person. And I remember I told one of my clients to, to load up, you know, to work up to a certain percentage of of their weight or whatever. And they were like, how much is that? And I'm like, well, just calculate it. And they're like, I don't know what my one RM is. And I was like, what, what the fuck? And I was like, I am the worst coach ever because I would load their weights for them a lot of the times. And I would be writing stuff on my tablet. So I was knowing exactly what they were doing um, at the time. And I didn't even realize that, like I said, like exactly like you said, I was completely incapacitating them and and, like making sure that they had zero understanding of what they were doing, why they were doing any of that stuff. And I just thought I was being your coach. And right after that moment, I was like, I refuse to load anyone's weight. I refuse to hold anyone's program. If you don't bring your program, you're going home, getting your phone and, you know, finding, finding a way to find your, bro- like, I refuse to do that now. And mm-hmm. one, it saves me a ton of work, but then two, now they actually benefit from it, you know? And they're like, Oh no, I know how much 70% is, or I know exactly this, or I know exactly that because it's like, you're forcing them to do it instead of just like doing their homework for them. And so like, that's something that has a hundred percent stuck with me because so I, I frickin', I freaking love that uh, you had that story as well.
1: Well, it just, um, just, it just, it makes, I, I, it's so tough to do because we, we come from a place of, of wanting to help. Like, it's not, it's not coming from a place where, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to set people back or not set them up for success. You're doing it with the right intentions. It's just, yeah. it really does start to impact things when it goes too far. Um, so just like anything else, there's a right balance of, of being prescriptive and helpful and guiding people down the right path, but also acknowledging that if we do too much of it for them, the, it just comes a time where, you know, it doesn't even mean when you're not working with them, it can mean when they're in a situation where they got to think critically or have a decision to make or, you know, it's that stuff where you're just trying to enable them to be able to navigate those situations.
0: Yeah, 100%. And, and like right now, I'm actually working on an article um, on like why dietary interventions have such a, a high failure rate. Mm-hmm. Um, which actually is a little bit of a misnomer because they actually don't. The vast majority of dietary interventions work. It's just when you when you extrapolate it out three, five years and so on, that's usually when it ends up failing. And, and there's so much that goes into behavior that it's actually crazy. enough. like, one of the things that I would love to hear is how you help a client create more awareness around their eating behaviors, right? Because it's like, I know for myself, for instance, um, the more that I started reading up on, like trauma and, and cue reactivity and like your response to, you know, emotional situations or stressful situations. And I started looking at my eating behavior. I was like, oh my God, like Mm -hmm. a lot of my negative eating habits are really triggered by either trauma, you know, or, um, not like trauma now, but just I have PTSD. Right. And so like, you know, past issues and then triggered by certain stressful situations and things like that. And then I know like when I created that awareness, I was like, oh, this is why I'm feeling that way.
1: Exactly. You know, and
0: and it it really allowed me to like take ownership of it and then see, mm-hmm. you know, start steering myself in the right direction. And that was such a huge piece for me. So I, I would love to hear how you go about doing that with, uh, with your clients.
1: I think oh, you hit a lot of key points there. I think the biggest thing around any dietary intervention and why, you know, numerous, like different diets, be it focusing on different things and macronutrients or different approaches, are successful is because you're just being more mindful of what you're eating. And I think you were able to create the awareness around, Hey, there's a situation I get into that completely derails my nutritional habits and what I eat. And it's because of this certain thing. And you created, you know, that awareness around it, that this impacts things. And I think that, that in itself is like the power of just being more mindful of what, of what is going on. First of all, like eating and like eating is a coping is a valid coping strategy. So it's always one of those things where that's not necessarily wrong. It's just the reaction to what you're doing. Right. So like, we just got always got to think about that too. But at the same time, it's just, this stuff is an awareness thing. It really like, it really is. And that's why most dietary interventions, while you're still being mindful of that stuff will work. It's when you resume and are, not in that situation or, you know, are thrown into a different situation where you'll resort to old habits or go back to the old things. One thing that's always interesting to me is I, during my PhD, the college that I worked in, it was one of the only nutrition colleges I, I actually, I'm aware of, but in Canada where, uh, it's a college of pharmacy and nutrition. So they train pharmacists and nutritionists, although, or dietitians, although they're in the same college, it's two separate colleges, but we discuss research and everything's under the same umbrella. And they have like a lot of research around adherence to pharmaceutical interventions. Like that's a big area of research, which thinking of nutrition and, and medical interventions is is quite different because a lot of times we're talking about like, you know, taking a pill, adhering to taking this sort of medication, be it like diabetes medication, whatever it is. And and like the, the rates around that stuff in terms of adherence, be it whatever barrier it is, people can't get their medication, they forget whatever stuff like that. It's like, it's 80% around it, like a a pill. So you start to think about, we got all, all these, you know, kind of abstract nutrition concepts to think about and adhere to you're talking about like a much more complicated process so trying to simplify it in any way you can in terms of here are the key parameters here's a structure to be able to follow let me educate you within this structure in terms of what are the expectations as well as what are the habits that are going to allow you to meet that structure is like the best thing that you can do to set people up for success while also knowing that like Good is, is what we're after and not perfection because that'll never, you'll never live up to that. It's just, we're trying to be as accurate as we can be in a somewhat inaccurate science. So that's my, that's my take around that.
0: No, a hundred percent. And I, I made a post about this actually, I think yesterday um, I gave two examples of different situations. It was like, you know, person number one's professional athlete trained six times a week sleeps nine to 10 hours a day, you know, has a perfect supplementation nutrient timing strategy. Person B, full-time in school, part-time job, sleeps five to six hours a day, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Trains three times a week. Both situations are optimal. Yeah. You know? And it, it's it's like, I think there's a, sometimes a bit of a disconnect between theoretical, optimal and practical. And practical mm-hmm. is seen a lot of the times as regression or not trying hard enough or not wanting it bad enough a lot of the mm-hmm. times. And it's like, I've noticed that I, my, my tendency, and I think a lot of people who are serious about the results have a bias towards doing way too much, you know, too much volume, too much intensity, not taking enough time to rest. They're always pushing, pushing, pushing when what they really need to do is just like sit back and be like, Hey, shut the fuck up. (laughs) And just like, you know, look at what's actually happening. Like your, your back feels like it's going to explode. Is this a mental toughness thing? Do you really think that you need to be tougher and just push through it? Or should you maybe just be like, hey, I don't know if I want to die. I'm gonna, you know, sit this one out for a little bit.
1: Totally. I I always think about, like, for example, prescribing some macronutrients targets. I remember like a few key examples where I'd be working with, like starting to work with a client, like a vegan client, for example, and they're getting into resistance training and they want to recover and they wanna optimize their body composition. And they've heard everything under the sun about their protein intake and how it might be harder for them to get up to some of these quote unquote optimal levels um and we'll do like a five-day five-day dietary assessment on them and let's say this individual's this female is like 70 kilos and is getting into resistance training and we think okay optimal levels of protein intake if she's eating mostly plant-based sources like maybe there's an argument for being a little bit like maybe even eating a bit more because the quality is a little bit different maybe we put her around like 2.0 2.0 grams per kilogram of, 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 protein. We're talking 150 grams of protein a day. We do an assessment on her, see what her current habits are like and what she's currently eating. And she's eating like 65 grams of protein per day for you to try to make the leap bound to what is quote unquote optimal is not setting anyone up for success. Like optimal for this individual is like, we're adding in a few more sources and trying to maybe, you know, increase the serving sizes of the protein you're already eating and aiming for 90 grams of protein or 85 grams of protein, something realistic for us to bridge the gap between where you are now and where quote unquote optimal could be. And a lot of times what happens with that individual is they don't have the right guidance and support, or someone's coaching them that just isn't realistic about that is that the first recommendation or whatever it is, the bias or whatever it is, is just way too much that they'll never be able to do it. And they actually, it actually ends up backfiring on them in terms of what could be 85 grams of protein and could be beneficial and more and moving towards optimal is now like, I'm not eating any protein sources at all. And because, you know, I just can't keep up with this. I can't do that. Right. And it's like, that's where people make absolutely zero progress. So it's like, Science is just so incredible because it's given us a way to create results that are reproducible and repeatable and methods and strategies, but we also need to incorporate the art of this stuff and think, you know, what, what is actually optimal for this individual? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, a hundred percent, man. And there, there's kind of two things actually that I, I want to piggyback on. The first thing is I think people really underestimate the ramping effect, um, that you get to, to kind of build up that momentum and especially the nutrition. This is something I think a lot of people struggle with. I definitely know that I've struggled with it because, like, let's say your, your diet is absolute dog shit, it's the worst it could possibly be. Mm-hmm. And let's just say, hypothetically, that you need to reach roughly 80% adherence or so before you actually start seeing some meaningful results. So it's like, okay, you go from zero diet to maybe 20% adherent, and that's hard, right? And then you're not seeing any results. And then maybe over the next two weeks or four weeks or whatever, you get up to 60% adherent, still no results. And now you're putting in way more work. Another month passes. And let's say we've done, you know, two or three months. And sometimes this legitimately happens after three months, you're about 78% adherence. You're not quite at that point yet. And this is obviously hypothetical, Yep. but so you haven't really seen any meaningful results and you've been putting in all this work. And people don't see a lot of the underlying changes through your behavior your habits like what does your food actually look like now look at your awareness look at how you're strategizing for your day and pre-planning look at all Mm -hmm. of the things you're doing and then all they need to do is just kind of keep going and pushing that little extra bit further and they would start seeing the results but then they give up because they're like man i put all this work it must be bullshit." and it's like Mm -hmm. for me i totally understand that because i've been there and a lot of people obviously have been there but I think that it's due to a lack of understanding of of that ramping effect and how things can kind of progress on that. And and the second thing is repeating myself. A lot of the times I will have the same conversations over and over and over again with my athletes, whether they're brand new or elite or whatever, this is nutrition training, whatever. Like if I'm cueing an athlete, I'll be like, oh, load, like wedge your hips, and you gotta stay tighter, be more patient off the ground, and they're like, oh, I keep, I keep doing this, and you keep telling me the same thing, and I always have to tell them like, hey, look, I tell like super high-level athletes the same thing, mm-hmm. right? It's just that you need to hear the same thing over and over and over, and it needs to be reinforced over and over and over until eventually you get it, right? And it clicks, right? Here, and you can and you can see you the
1: light bulb really effect, laboratory. Laboratory. yeah.
0: yeah. And, and it's like, so I always have to kind of talk to people and be like, it's a spectrum technique is not an on off switch. Dieting is not an on off switch. It's a spectrum. And you have been over here and now you're progressively moving or over to that, you know, hypothetical optimal that we've been talking about. And again, it's, it's really difficult to, to kind of understand that when, mm-hmm. you know, in practice, you're not necessarily seeing a lot of the tangible results, which is why I know you track a lot of behaviors. I love, I like to track behaviors as well, because I think that's a fantastic way to, to demonstrate progress that's You know, let's just say not measured on the scale or whatever. Yeah. And be like, hey, look, you're getting this much protein. You know, like you said, you weren't you weren't getting 150, but you were only getting 40. Now -hmm. over the last week, we've seen you've increased your protein intake every single week, week over week by about 15 to 20 grams consistently. Where do you think you're going to be in two months? Exactly Mm -hmm. where you want to be. For sure. Right?
1: Yeah. It's like maybe, maybe you, you know, maybe you um came to me in a situation for a specific body composition goal, but you've also expressed that like you know, you're recovering from training much better. You're noticing improvements in your strength. You, you feel this, your posture is improved. Like the, the coaching, the job of a coach is to reinforce some of those other behaviors too, um, and not to pump people's tires, but there's always going to be stuff like that, that we need to, uh, that we need to highlight and talk about because it all adds up and moves people in the right direction. And then before you know it, they've done enough of those things that they wake up, one day, six, eight months later, and they're in a completely different situation, but they never really noticed it. Right. And I think one of the most powerful things is that right now, culturally pretty difficult time. We're like living through this, like a situation that most of us haven't, it's just strange. Our lives are different. A lot of people don't like to think about the progress they made in spite of what was going on. They compare it to this somewhat, uh, you know, unrealistic expectation they have on themselves of what would be perfect and what would happen when things are perfect. I would never let this filter into a marketing message because it's not all that smart, but it's like, Hey, listen, you know, this individual that was working with me, like maybe you set out in this journey to lose 10 pounds and you've only lost two in the last five months, but no one likes to compare where you would like to be if you hadn't done any of this stuff, which is, you probably would have gained 10 pounds realistically, no one likes to compare to that. Who would want to do that? Right. It's not, it's not the optimal situation of what we'd have, but that is like the reality of this stuff is that like, that is progress. That is meaningful. That is you moving in the right direction. And maybe it isn't perfect, but it's, it's quality and it, it's going to help you in the long-term.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. And, and a lot of the times too, I think people get a little bit caught up with kind of the recency bias. So prime example is I have an athlete competing this weekend. Um, She's had an absolutely stellar prep and she's hitting like just insane numbers in the gym. She's had a couple of days, like I'm talking like maybe three or four days over the last like 12, 16 weeks where she, in her opinion, she underperformed. In my opinion, she didn't because we're, we're utilizing RPE. And so that was what she needed to do on that day. Mm-hmm. but she underperformed based on her own expectations for herself. And so it's like, we've got all of this productive training. And then on the day, Oh, I had a bad day. Oh my God. Like, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to be ready to compete. Peak ruined. Yeah, is it? We'll like, am I going to be able to? Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, dude, what do you, <laughs> do you think mm-hmm. one day is going to ruin the last four months of training? You know what I mean? Yeah. And the thing is they do hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. do. And I've been in that situation where I'll fuck up and I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, you know, and it's like, like exactly right. like you said, I'm a coach, I have a coach for that exact reason. So I don't want to stress about this shit, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, cause, cause we're human and we have stupid biases and we do stupid things, so.
1: For sure. Well, and I, I mean, you see, you see the athletes that learn to manage that stuff and they're just like a lot more stoic about the process. It's like, yeah. these real good days, doesn't really matter. These real bad days, it is what it is. Like, it, it's just- a lot more neutral and they've realized that just being productive over longer periods of time is what pushes the needle in all of this stuff, right? That's what shifts the baseline. That's what allows us to get better. And that's what good coaching will allow you to do is just like, you know, kind of temper a lot of those expectations and keep things moving in the right direction.
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. And so when, when a client is sort of clinging on to like, you know, destructive, Or potentially destructive, uh, you know, maybe ideologies or approaches that that they really, really believe. Mm -hmm. How do you go about navigating that conversation? Because that's difficult. You obviously don't want to come out and be like, "Now you're wrong. You're an idiot, and that's why you're not losing weight." But then at the same time, you know, there needs to be a certain level of validation, but you have to also correct them. Like, how do you navigate that conversation? Because people really, really cling to those beliefs.
1: Totally. I, I have a bit of a different approach to this. And I think it surprises people. A lot of times. Um, I wrote an email two weeks ago that had like an open rate that was like 85% or something. And the the subject line was, was why everyone should cut weight for the first powerlifting meet. And I knew by writing that people were like, what is it, Like, what is he talking about? This is like, go like flies in the face of all, all conventional, um, powerlifting advice based on what everyone says. Right. And I think it comes from a place where People have longstanding beliefs. They want to do certain things. As a coach, my belief in a lot of these situations is that like I'm a harm reductionist. People are going to do things that they're going to do regardless. If someone asks me if they should be, if someone asks me if they should be going keto, they're not looking for my opinion. They're looking for validation. If someone asks me if they should be cutting weight for this next pile of me coming up, a lot of times they're doing it with or without me and it'd be it's a bit different when you have a client that you've been working with for a long long standing period of time that you've built up a rapport and stuff but a lot of times these are conversations that we have with people that are looking to us for validation and advice and a lot of times in my experience the best thing you can do to support them is help them navigate those things that they're going to do with or without you in the best possible way you can incorporating the evidence that we know we know is going to be helpful and let them come to their own conclusions around a lot of this stuff, because I've had a lot of people that will quote unquote, wait for their first powerlifting meet, feel like complete dog shit, realize that this isn't the way that they want to navigate their powerlifting career. And then they're like, tell me what I need to do. Like, tell like, like, let, like, let, okay. I get it. I get it now. Right. Which to me is like, that is what's, that's what's building resilient people. And that, and, and that is what, allows people to like truly make change in their lives is that they've experienced that thing. And not to say we're enabling them because a lot of times it's like, Hey, listen, I don't think you should do this, but I understand if you want to, and here, here, are the, here's the scenario here, here are the things that, that could happen. If you still want to do it, I totally get it. I want to put you in a position to be successful R- reminder. I don't think you should, but here's what we'll do. Here's what it looks like. This is the, this is the stuff. So to me, it's like, reinforcing and clearly communicating that yeah maybe this isn't optimal and it isn't what you want to do but we all have those things we do we're lying if if we don't like we do we all have our biases and things that like aren't really doing us any favors Um, and the best way to face them a lot of times is to put ourselves in situations where like where we need to face them and talk about them and learn from our mistakes so that's kind of my take on that is that like I think a lot of times being too prescriptive and preachy and saying, you can't do this or do that just turns people off from doing the things that they're going to do it with or without you. So a lot of times if we can help them work through that stuff and give them the best support as they're doing it, a lot of times they come out on the other side thinking like, yep, that was okay. Um, I kind of want to do it your way now. And you're like, cool.
0: Yeah. I can, I can really see how that would be a solid approach to take for a couple reasons i mean like one you're validating them two you're saying hey here's what i think is going to happen mm-hmm. and then three exactly what you say is going to happen usually <laughs> happen and then they're like oh okay he was supportive the whole time he wasn't a dick about it he let me do it and try it my way and he warned me about this but he still guided me so now yeah exactly like you said now it's like okay now i've got a lot of trust i've got a lot of confidence in him yeah, um, you know, or, or her or whatever. But, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a really interesting approach. I did that once and I actually did have a, a pretty good experience. So I don't, I don't generally coach like weight loss clients mm-hmm. really. Um, not, not that I don't do it. It's just, I don't generally have people coming specifically for weight loss. A lot yeah. of the times they're like strength athletes or something like that. And, and the strength athletes they'll have body composition related goals, but it's not their primary goal. So, right. um, I guess the, that, that case would be like, I want to cut, you know, 12 pounds this month. And I'm like, okay, we can do that, but your Mm -hmm. strength is going to really take a hit. And then they'll be like, yeah, okay, that's fine. And I'm like, all right, sure. And, and so, you know, let's, let's go, you got a high level of motivation. Let's do it. Let's see if we can make some capital gains or whatever. And then, or not, Capricorn. <laughs> let's see. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So you're going to
1: be taxed on that. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's see if we can make some progress. Uh, I'm thinking of one individual in particular. So we did a cut just like they wanted to. Their strength went to shit. They couldn't even hit what they were doing like before for fives at an RP mm-hmm. seven or something like that. They were missing a bunch of the weights. They felt like shit. Their recovery wasn't great. Um, and they were just kind of really stressed out sleep was not, you know what I mean so I just kept having to reduce the training load to, to accommodate and then eventually they were just like after about four weeks they were like I don't want to do this anymore and I was like yeah it sucks doesn't it I it does like, so.
1: yeah exactly you know, this
0: this is something that we do in the off season this is not something that we do before a competition you know mm-hmm. and and oh yeah that was that was one of the big things they were wanting to cut into a competition I was like that is not a good idea man as a competition, it's a time to be, you know, in a slight surplus or maintenance. Like you, you don't want to be doing that yeah. for, for, for this person anyways. Right. right. I understand yeah. yeah. some other individuals, but in this particular context, it wasn't a great idea, but yeah, hundred percent, exactly. Like you said, had the exact effect that, that, you know, I was looking for And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Cause that's yep. not something that you would normally think about doing, right? Like it's, it's not really intuitive.
1: Yeah, no, it isn't. And I think a lot of times using the science, like the scientific method and the body of evidence just allows us to like informs us of some decisions. But then the art of this stuff is just using it in creative ways that gets people to adhere and moves them in the right direction. And that to me is the exciting part of all of this stuff is that like at the end of the day, it's about moving people in the right direction. So what we need to do to get there um kind of up to like up to the coach and the situation and, and what we do. And I like that stuff is like one example of that is I I always remember a few situations where, you know, clients were like, I need to calorie cycle. Like, this is the, this is what works for me. And I'm like, honestly, I like, I just, I don't think you do. I like, I, you're just, you're, you're training three times a week. Like it just, this makes no sense. And they're like, no, I need to do it. I was like, okay, let's do it. Phenomenal results. And in past preps, we tried just one level of food and, and they just didn't, they weren't excited about it. They didn't work hard about it like that, like that kind of thing. It's just, it depends on the situation and it depends on, um, you know, where the individual is coming from and what's going to excite them and, and allow them to stick to things and adhere.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think in those instances as well, it's like, if it's not directly going to impede their progress, then, even if I don't like it, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it. Let's do it. You know, exactly. And then yeah. exactly like you said, cause sometimes people just do have this kind of tendency to want something a little bit more complicated. You know, they're mm-hmm. like, I want to do the calorie cycling. I want to do, you know, I want to cycle my carbohydrates. I want to, you know, use nutrient timing strategies. Yep. Like, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, and I think of
1: Yeah. I think being an evidence-based practitioner, a lot of times we're thinking like, is this safe? Is this effective? does it matter? Like if it's probably safe and we not sure it's going to be effective, like, is this the hill I'm going to, is this the hill I'm going to die on? Yeah. Right. Like, the, like yeah. does it matter kind of thing? It's like kind of working through some of those scenarios um, so that you give people enough autonomy and buy in the process that they do what they ultimately need to do, which might not be related to those things.
0: Yeah. So, in terms of like prescribing homework or maybe educational resources or material, anything like that, do you, do you do that with any of your clients?
1: Uh, yeah, a lot of times when I think I'm explaining something that might be, that might be new to them or takes some convincing a lot of times, maybe it's like, you know, here's why I think this is important and maybe you should check it out and why we're going to do it just as like a bit of, a bit of support and stuff, but I always think, and I think we, I've talked to a lot of people. I think we started this conversation <laughs> talking about this. It's like the power is in the application. Like it really is like, you're going to realize why this stuff works when you see a specific result from it. And the reason why we're doing things like that to me is always that light bulb moment of, yes, I get it. Right. Someone comes to you and like they have an overly restrictive past and they've yo-yo dieted and, and they're having a hard time. It's like, I get you don't think you can eat ice cream, but I want you to try it once per week within your calories. Like I, I want you to go and do it. They're like, Oh, I don't know if I can. It's like, believe me, abstaining from this is only going to make it so much more likely that you're going to do it outside of your control sooner than later. So like, why don't you, why don't you try it? And they're like, okay, my weight didn't go up. I'm still making progress, yada, yada, yada. Like you're a wizard. Right. And it's like, I honestly, a lot of times, a lot of times just that the proof is in, the actions and the confidence they build through taking action and seeing the positive results of, you know, what they never thought could be true.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a great point, especially like removing some of the stigma from, from those deeply ingrained beliefs. Like I, am, um, I've had athletes, I'm sure you have as well, where it's like, you know, they're coming to me and they're like, Hey, you know what? I, I have an injury. So I'm really, really hesitant about doing deadlifts. It's like, okay, cool. And, they're okay doing all sorts of other things that are literally putting just as much sheer, like uh, shear force in their spine. Um, and, and just as much compression, like that are, that are much more dangerous. Right. And, but it's, they have this sort of like fixation on this particular movement. This movement's dangerous. Yep. And it's like, how do you get someone out of that? Because the risk for them, exactly like you said, if I eat this food, I risk rebounding up, losing control, right like there there's such a, a big yeah. risk in their head, yeah, how do you go about that conversation? I mean, I guess you kind of answered it, right, like just just sort of like a graded exposure,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, like validation around how they're feeling because I mean that's ultimately what matters, right That's what's gonna motivate them to take the next step is that like I get it, I get you don't want to do deadlifts. I understand like like blowing up your back again and being in a situation like that would be super depressing and i would i would hate that for you but listen if we'd go about it this way in a way that you probably haven't done before uh in a way that we're gonna ramp up and you know we're just gonna try it and if something happens you know we'll back off that kind of thing let's just try it once you've built up that trust and rapport and it's just that like you know slowly ramping up that exposure where they're the point where they're like yes like i'm i'm the world hasn't stopped. The lights are still on. Things are moving in the right direction. Like I can do this. Right. And it's all about buy-in and, and slowly ramping those things up. And then before you know it, like months have passed and they're just in a much better place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And so from a behavioral standpoint, how do you, how do you go about kind of delegating those behaviors?
1: I think it's always stepwise, and it's just like slowly introdu- introducing it. And I think when, talking about like kind of like a check-in process and stuff it's 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 one of those things where here's my suggestion how likely is this to happen how does this make you feel are you going to be able to do this if you can't do this what would it look like for you to incorporate some element of it is it frequency is it intensity is it less is it is it is it more like what is that thing right and then it opens a conversation to get them involved and i think a lot of times you know it you're talking to your people 5 or 10 times a week a lot of times this stuff is all about having conversations to get people where we need them to go. So I think it's just some buy-in around what the, you know, what the homework is, what the action step is, making sure that there is always an action step so that it's clear and the expectations um, of what's, you know, of what's expected to them is really, really clear. And then kind of going from there um, would be, the, would be the biggest thing from week to week, following up on those things, making sure that you're, you're talking about it again, and not just like, brushing under the rug. And it's like a, a focal point, right? That's what adherence to this stuff is all about. And that's where, you know, we're finding my entire process is all about creating structure and then creating the habits to fill that structure. You can't have one or the other. And I know in the nutrition world, a lot of certifications will focus on one or the other, like here's the science of nutrition. This is all that matters. It's really objective. And it's kind of, I don't know, almost cold and hard to apply. Whereas like You go too far down the habit-based path and it's really hard to get a sense of what people need to do and what's expected of them. And sometimes the results suffer and they might be in a better place, but they're not all that bought in because they haven't seen the positive payoffs of focusing on this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So we almost got to find a balance of the two in terms of this is what's expected of you. This is what it would look like. This is what good adherence would look like. This is what bad adherence would look like. Comparing the two, talking about it, not being, you know, not being negative about it, but just getting a sense of this is, this is better, this is worse, this is what it looks like, as well as, okay, now that we know what that looks like, how do we fill that and take action steps to actually get there? So it's always a combination of those two things. And if you have one or the other, like something's gonna suffer.
0: Right, awesome, man. So we're kind of coming up on that hour mark uh, and I want to be respectful of your time. So where, where can people find you?
1: You betcha, I'm, I'm pretty active on my Instagram account, which is Mark W. Morris, M-A-R-C-W Morris. Um, got a, quite a bit of information on uh, the Dr. Mark methodcom which is my nutrition certification program. So people can check out more information on that. And this stuff is all about talk and shop and, and chatting with people about, you know, what's going on in their lives, what they want to do. So if anyone ever wants to reach out and schedule a call or talk or get some more information, I'm, I'm happy to do that. But that would be the best way to reach me and, and get a better sense of what I do and what, what I'm all about.
0: Awesome, man. So all that stuff's going to be linked up in the show notes, guys, definitely make sure you go give him a follow. He's got a lot of great content he puts out on the regular Mark. Thanks so much for jumping on, man. It was a really great chat.
1: Likewise. I'm i uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity.